Hey guys, and welcome to Cafe Bullions today. I'm here with the regular friends, Costa, Susanna, and Alex. And today we've got a few, uh, more than a few interesting topics for you, actually. Uh, but we wanted to start off today with the poll that we had from our last episode and the results we've got. And for that, I'm going to hand over to Alex. Take Test it away, sir. <laughs> Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, so we had the poll last week. Oh, sorry, last episode. Um, if you don't remember what it was, we were talking about how um, how video games have impacted, changed, or saved your life. And we put this poll out to the uh, members of the Adelaide Game Development Discord, um, which we'll post a link to. You can always join. And um, the responses we got were were great. Um, and they're not something that you know I could do justice by riffing off of. So I'll just read verbatim basically what they said. They've um, two members discovered their identity really through playing video games, which is awesome. Um, they said, I think video games are an important way of exploring possibilities for a lot of people. And I do genuinely credit realizing I was trans, at least partially to being able to present myself as female in games and other similar places. And I now, and, and I know, sorry, a lot of other people who would say the same. So, and, uh, you touched on that as well, Susanna, I don't know if it was that episode or another one about how um, uh, games allow you to beat someone else, like uh, as an avatar, um, where you know you don't feel comfortable presenting as as you are, so you you can you know be who you want to be to feel comfortable in that area. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Is games really let us um, kind of take on perspectives or situations that we might not get to experience in our lives or might not currently be able to experience in our lives that we can't really do in any other way. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's what we're talking about with the metaverse and how the invention of that, if that will help people express themselves. But, um, yeah, the games that helped them realize these things was uh, Katawada Shoju, which I had to look up before. Shoju, uh, butchered that <laughs> it's like if people have played it they'll know what you're talking about yeah it's it's hard to get that confused i imagine um yeah uh and another one was animal crossing which um that's i mean cool animal, animal crossing, crossing yeah that's not really an rp i was about to say it's an rpg it's not really an, it's an rpg it is a, you know what? i i started playing animal crossing last week i finally got it guys i finally got it oh my I'm only, god what two you years too late missed the pandemic <laughs> yeah no right that's right. That'll be another one. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but I can, I can see why Animal Crossing would be a good one for that kind of, uh, I guess, self-discovery in some ways because you do get to try out different outfits, all sorts of different things. And the whole game is really about kind of expressing yourself and your house and your island <laughs> kind mm. of thing. So, Yeah, and it just feels like a safe environment just, just to live in, just to be in. Like That's probably why it was such a good escape. But I'm glad you finally got... Animal Crossing. Maybe I'll maybe I'll log in with you. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing those responses. That's that was uh, really great. Um, and then we'll have a poll for this week, um, which I guess we'll kick that off with the uh, the story, um, which is Global Game Jam 2022 is coming up in uh, Susanna. Is it January? January. Oh, Susanna, because she's helping organize it. Yeah, I think it's the um, I think it's the last weekend of January. I'm just like put you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so bad with dates. Like, uh, it's the yeah. yeah, it's like the uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> coming soon. It's coming soon, guys. It's coming soon to us. <laughs> the date coming City soon. City to you. <laughs> um, I, it's like, um, yeah, 26th to 30th of January or something like that, like the very end. So 28th to the 30th of January. There you go. Nice. Oh, yeah, you're right. They, they they just put it up as the 20th to the 30th of January. I know. Yeah, and then I forgot right. what weekend we actually had in that day too. <laughs> I didn't realize it goes over that because it's always just the weekend. How come they put the 20th to the 30th? It was – Um, they said it was because it was like Lunar New Year. So some mm. people might be celebrating uh, that. So they wanted to give sites that might have like public holidays and celebrations on that time another kind of weekend to choose if it suited them better. Sure. Okay. So the Adelaide Global Game Jam, that's, I guess you said the 28th? Yeah, the Friday night's 28th. So that's like, you know, the, hey, welcome to the gym. What what are we doing? Let's have fun. And then the 29th and 30th is the build. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Look what we did. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, Susanna, we have exclusive news, don't you, for the jam. Where is it being held? Do exclusive news. Um, the site for Adelaide Global Game Jam will be UniSA for this year. Well, for next year, 2022. Ooh. Exclusive. You is heard it-, it first here. <laughs> nice. is, it, is it one of the specific campuses or is it across UniSA? Yeah, it's uh, City West. City nice. West. Awesome. Is it in the, like where it was central. last, in the library? Was in the library last time? It was in the library last time. I think we're still kind of like deciding exactly where, but I think we're going to be across the road from the library. So like directly across the road where the coffee shops and things are. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Props to UniSA for making that happen though amongst Mm. uh, pandemic regulations and everything. I know, yeah. So we are capped at 90 attendees. So uh, yeah, get your tickets (laughs) when ticket sales open to be guaranteed. I got to get uh, my dad's an IT guy at the uni, and you know every time I do a game jam, I tell him about it, and he was disappointed he missed out on being IT support for the last uni SA one. So <laughs> I'm making sure he gets in on this. Shout out to uh, Ches. Yeah, definitely cue <laughs> <Dude>. him up. <laughs> yeah. Bring bring your um, broken computers. Even if you're not part yeah. of the game jam, just pretend you are, and Ches will come and fix your computer. <laughs> yeah, He's that's actually guy, yeah. a good point because it is bring your own device this year. So. <laughs> Again, again, because of COVID, it's um, bring your own device because, you know, you can't contaminate keyboards. (laughs) So you have to bring your own. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's fair. Usually you do bring your own because even like when when AIE hosted it, like I think just out of convenience, everyone just brought their own laptops and rigs. And And you know what's on it like and what you've got and you don't want to spend time installing and patching. and. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, that's awesome. So UniSA hosting uh, Global Game Jam 2022 for Adelaide. Um, what, what is a game jam for those who may not? I mean, there might be some listeners who maybe haven't gone to a game Costa, jam. I'll, just, just tell me you don't know what a game jam is. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> right. I don't know. Explain. <laughs> Ask me for a friend. Well, it's like uh, strawberry jam, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, so... Um, it- huh? I was going to say it's a little gamey, though. Sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, Game Jam is um, a certain amount of time, you know, 
it could be a weekend. It could be like those online gems where they're a week. They're just also if you're from this this world, they're from, they're called a hackathon. You know, in other places where you just lock yourselves in an area. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the place. You're not from Costa. Um, yeah, you you just basically have a set amount of time to get a game done. Sometimes there's well, more often than not there's a theme. So global game jams in the past, uh, the themes have been like um, repairing um uh transmission um actually rooftop renegade got born out of the uh uh the theme transmission and we already had uh, the game idea done we just shoehorned it into that <laughs> theme uh, you cheater can, can, well, can no, you re- retroactively be kicked out of the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's still up you can play it but um the uh yeah so it's um yeah, it's just a, a chance to pump a game out as quick as you can. And they are incredibly important and I think incredibly overlooked on the part of developers. Oh, um, they're so good. And I mean, this is part of your question, Alex, is, you know, what are some of your best experiences? My audio career essentially started with a game jam. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, this is a few years ago. So, like, I had been doing music and audio uh, myself, but then I happened to be kind of around making friends with some video game developers they invited me to a game jam and we fortunately we got a team of like six or seven people together and pumped out this game over the weekend and it was so much fun um but then it actually meant that i had like game experience and i met more people and i had something for my portfolio which (laughs) then i showed uh you alex (laughs) and the other guys at melonhead games which then led to working on rooftop renegade you're talking about so yeah, yeah yeah and i've heard so many other people talk about how some of the their best games or it's not just games it's uh any any kind of thing start at jams but game jams especially are well known for networking and for creating great ideas well that's it because like i mean you know we're we're all game developers predominantly everyone who's listening to this podcast is a game developer an idea for a game you can you can come up with five right now uh, and you can start five games tonight you will probably not finish four out of five of those you know like what a game jam forces you to do one you touched on which is networking um the ones that are in person which i want to get back to but the other one is it you have to go through the entire process of developing a game but just condensed you have to um which is what Susanna mentioned as well the panic of trying to package a game at the end of the jam um you are forced to do that within that allotted time because and then you have to upload it um whereas if you develop your own game we all fall into the trap of just never finishing it like you keep adding to it and adding to it but you have to scope it within a certain amount of time um uh michael fischetti and um jason from um blue moon games their game that's out at the mm. moment that came from a game jam and yeah like, for it they so didn't... much so much reception and uh, like uh, when we had them on they were talking about how it just help them to focus on the real key you know game mechanic and the one sort of feature that they wanted to ship for that you know one week or two week challenge that they had so Hmm. uh, yeah that it has tremendous um power in helping you to focus on what's most important Mm. Susanna do you have a do you have like a, a good memory or a lesson learned or horror story, horror story <laughs> post-mortem about uh, a game jam? Um, uh, well, early in the year, um, I was part of the organizing committee with Ashley Van Wingard and a few other cool people. Um, uh, we did the, the first Australian women game jam. 
which um, mm. has a really weird name because it was like not just women. It was like uh, women, non-binary, game jam, but it was, yeah, just called that. Um, but it uh, what happened is we, we were going to have all these different sites, but then COVID was a thing and uh, we had to put everything online kind of at the last minute. So we were going to have like an online event, but also in person events and then everybody just ended up going online and uh, we thought it was going to be chaos but it actually turned out amazing because there were all these people from all these places with all these different experiences and backgrounds and like for the online event we had planned a bunch of awesome mentors from all these different disciplines but then there was mentors from the sites as well so there was like so much mentoring that like it was just amazing. Mentors were just going into the group chats and seeing how everyone was going and like all over the place. It just was going so well. It was amazing. So I guess like we thought that was going to be, I thought that was going to be like a huge farce, but it actually turned out like way better than it ever could. So I guess even if like, you know, something does go awful and we do end up again all online, which I hope we don't, at least we know it can be pretty great. What, um, what platform did you use for the group chats? Just Discord. We had a, a special server oh. for the jam and oh, then awesome. like little breakout groups for each of the teams. That's awesome. And um, I think there's, I don't, I don't know if this is like uh, behind the scenes and or something, but it was there talks about having mentors in this jam coming up, the Global Game Jam? Global Game Jam, yeah, yeah, definitely looking for mentors. So if anyone's keen, um, send us an email and let us know kind of what your skills are and what you can offer and when you can come because you know can you be there for the whole three days probably not (laughs) you know what can you like yeah but yeah I think mentoring is really great too because it really gives you a chance to like kind of practice those like skills and see what it's like to to help others and work on your like if you're really experienced in like an area but you might not have a lot of experience dealing with like people who are new like it can be a really good opportunity to kind of say, oh, yeah, go think back to basics and go, oh, yeah, this is what I needed to know first and this is where I got mm. to, to where I am and to also learn as well from from people with different ideas and different experiences and who approach things differently. So, But yeah, I have to say um, that because I'm a teacher. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, you, you're spot on. Like the, the role of the mentor is like – you know, you can look up anything online, but that's the problem is you can look up anything. You can't look up what you're, what you need to know. Yeah, so that's what know. a mentor should have. They should yeah. have the foresight to be able to say, this is the problem you're going to run into and here's yes. the solution for you it. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Costa? Like um, uh, any game jam or slash, uh, I was about to say biohack for some reason, hackathon. <laughs> but I mean, actually, any biohack <laughs> memories while we're here? Yeah. <laughs> 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 That time you chipped yeah, your arm. <laughs> <laughs> with the, the vaccine. Um, for, for, for me, it's been, yeah, more hackathons. I, I haven't really properly done a, a game jam, so I'm keen to get involved um, in this global game jam. But, yeah, I mean, for myself, it's, it's always been hackathons, um, and they're primarily, you know, pitch. They're almost like pitch competitions. You have to kind of get the idea across in the best way possible and sort of explain, you know, how it's going to work, what makes it so special, and um, uh, I guess, yeah, the, the roadmap to getting it to, you know, starting a business or getting it get the, getting the product out there. Um, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky with, with winning hackathons. Um, uh, but, yeah. Nice. I mean, what, what was your biggest win? 
biggest win was uh, international act in space competition, which was uh, using space technology for applications on Earth. And we, I had a really good team of, and and that's probably the key takeaway. Actually, was having a a team with um, people from other backgrounds and disciplines, um, sort of balancing the team out. So, so we had a technical, like an extremely, like two tech tech people, basically um, myself, which was more design. And then we also had someone who was from a business background. So had that real. I'm waiting for you to say you, you like teamed up with all these NASA. Yeah. <laughs> no. Elon Musk was <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Of course, it's, it's like, yeah, my team was pretty good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we did, we did have like, you know, aerospace, like aerospace engineers and things like that. Yeah, but sweet. that, that, that discipline, that cross discipline um, and the, the people from different backgrounds, really help to have this like polished um, p- polished idea or like proof of concept and ha- being able to present it in the in the best way possible um, but I guess where, where game jams you know differ is that you have to have something built at the end of it so a lot of it just goes into you know uh, well, it's interesting that I want to see that is like h- how do you th- think and sort of ideate and uh, prototype very quickly and, and get to something that works at the end of the weekend. Yeah, I'll that, tell you what we did on ours. So, because I, I can't actually remember the theme of it, but um, it was six of us. And similar to what you were saying, we we're fortunate that we had people from all disciplines. So, I was audio, but we had uh, two game designers, a 3D artist, two programmers. Um, think that was everyone um and we basically just went to the local sushi place and got sushi and just like brainstormed Mm. like hardcore brainstorming got to something that was like good enough because you're not gonna like come up with the best idea ever for a weekend game jam and then we just ran with it Mm. um and i think i mean it really helped that we were kind of friends and stuff like that but there was that there was a real sense of um kind of work like not wanting to let the others down kind of thing um, and I think because of that, it was just so exhilarating. Um, you you wanted to be like back in the studio like early and you wanted to stay later knowing that it was just a weekend. And yeah. I think because it's a short thing as well, it's not like you don't burn out from it or anything like that kind of thing because it's, yeah, it's only, you know, three days. So Yeah. When we, when we did our hackathon, it was, a tw- it was 24 hours and we and we slept overnight in, in like this small, <laughs> tiny room. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's like yeah it's pretty cool that was yeah like i would i would love us to do a um a podcast an episode closer to it maybe like the week before or something of um like tips and story like all that kind of stuff because um yeah what you said john about the burnout like that's um that's very i i think i think i could be incredibly wrong but i think that's very lucky of your team and maybe not lucky i think it's indicative of the team you had um because you know my yeah. top yeah. tip, we were fortunate. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My my top tip. Well, I've got a, b- a bunch. That's why I'd love to do an episode on it. Is to plan your time out and actually make time to sleep. Because I did the when I did Global Game Jam in 2018, um, uh, myself and my mate, we were we like we we set up a sleep roster and we worked for about 27 hours straight. And then we booked a room at the, um, I think it's called like the Adelaide Hotel over on Hindley Street. And the elevator wasn't working. We we're on the top floor. And I was like hallucinating. <laughs> this guy threw up in town and like in the morning. And I just like was crying, laughing, like not at him. Like he didn't see it. I felt, 
but <laughs> I, like I was just full on hallucinating. Um, Pat came in and just could hear my arm creaking as I'm moving the mouse. Like, but <laughs> we that was our first time doing it, and um, oh, that yeah, was the rook- biggest rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. Yeah, don't <laughs> live on energy drinks. Don't do a 27 hours because you want to be a hero and you want to, um, you know, prove to everyone you can do it. Like the the best thing you can prove to people is look after yourself that you can do that. You have the confidence to look after yourself because that is a game jam killer. Like actually plan your roster out with you. If you have people you're going into with this, um, plan out a schedule. If you want to, if you always want something, someone working, then plan out a schedule. If you're all like, nah, we're going to work between up until 10 PM or whenever stick to that. And remember that emotions get heightened during it. So, you know, you might be like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to, but you're going to pay for it if you don't get the proper sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you're investing time in your health and, you know, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm so passionate about it because that's what happened to us and it hurts yeah. so bad. Yeah. And, and too, like the if- main thing you get out of the gym isn't like, like everyone's like, oh, you know, I want to win or I want to be like number one, but it's not about that. Like after the end of the mm. two, three days, you don't care like if you won or, you know, if somebody said it was the best game because you've got that game when you leave. So it's about making a game that mm. you're proud of, right? And mm. you need to get sleep to do that. <laughs> That's a good Yeah, point. you do. And taking that pressure off, I think, helps people become more creative as well. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden if it's like you don't have to be a smash hit to sustain your indie studio or whatever, it's like you can actually just make something you want to make. And I, th- yeah. a lot of people, like I know people who are you know, in the games industry, running studios and they're working on long-term projects. Um, This isn't just indie. I've seen this in uh, medium and possibly even AAA studios, but they actually do game jams as like a Mm. refuel thing for their staff because it's it's like it it freshens everything up. It reminds people why they're making games because they actually Mm. have a good time doing it. (laughs) You ever seen that? You ever seen the show Man vs. Food where the guy just (laughs) eats these giant plates of food they're always these eating competitions he was eating these like i don't know multi-kilo stacks of pancakes uh, i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. and he um he, he he couldn't finish it and right and halfway through he orders bacon yeah and he's like i could finish this because my mouth is just so sick of the taste of pancakes i can't eat anymore i will be sick i can fit it in i'll just be sick so he had to refresh his palate and i always think about that when you mentioned what you said john about people getting refreshed in that sense yeah like you, yeah, you yeah. need. It, it sounds counterproductive to do another project or something, but it really does. What you refresh the palate. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but that that dude had a heart attack. Like, <laughs> no, he did it right he, after the bacon. He, he, like, <laughs> he did. He had a heart attack. Is, is uh, he okay? Man, versus, what's his name? Adam. Yeah, yeah, what's yeah his Adam face? guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a heart attack. I don't know what. The, that, I don't know what the moral of the story is. <laughs> wait, was that part of the <laughs> series or was that after? No, the, no, after. I think after. Cost right? you f- up my st- my analogy. <laughs> Maybe don't do too many game jams or I don't know. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. No, see, that goes back to Alex's point about sleeping. Sleep, yeah. Don't overdo it. Go. Otherwise, okay. you're going to have right, a break from it. the game jam with sleep. <laughs> you have a breakdown. Eat the bacon, not the pancakes. Yeah, the- <laughs> but the moral of the story here is that Susanna and UniSA are going to be hosting some refreshing bacon <laughs> at the end of January. I'll bring, some, so I'll bring some vegan bacon. We can all have some bacon. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and I will see 90 of you, no, 89 of you there because I'm getting that one of those <laughs> tickets and I'll see my dad there and you can all meet Caesar. Um, awesome. awesome. All right. Well, so 
uh, that was going to be opened up to the poll as well. Um, what are some of your experiences with game jams? What are your stories, your lessons learned, everything like that? Um, I'm super, I cannot wait for this. Like, and then that's just one, one more thing on it. It's just the in-person one. And, and um, I'm glad you mentioned, Susanna, that the online one worked well because that's an eye-opener. That's that's good to hear because I'm so much for the um, in-person, in-person events. Yeah. And, I'm, and yeah, it's been and so long. Like, yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing is, um, you know, if if you're, you know, successful startups or that's, I'm used to saying that word, if you're successful game companies or something and you have your own office, there's going to be very few times you work right next to other people working on completely different games. And you guys are going to have the solutions to problems that uh, you don't expect someone else to have because they're coming at it from different ways. So, And as John said, it's the, net, the, the strength of it is the networking. So... Mm-hmm. I hope to see you all there. 89 of you. Get your ticket. <laughs> um, but yeah, so new poll, Game Jams. And John, take us with the next story. Yeah, sure. So um, for my news article this fortnight, I thought I'd go to the Journal of Culture and Technology, which is not a news article, but <laughs> found myself reading it for some reason the other week and found a really interesting uh, journal article Um about and now this is a game show so bear with me here but this article was about how uh when the modern bicycle called the safety bicycle this is the bicycle that we know uh was first kind of first became widespread um in the south of america where there was a lot of uh racial segregation and racism um this sounds like this was one of the first things that actually provided uh a sense of equality uh, to the black people there in the South. Um, and what this argument was, uh, sorry, what this article was arguing was that um, it, it gave them a way to be mobile and to get around uh, long distances um, and not have restrictions on it. Whereas previous to that, uh, the racial segregation or the Jim Crow laws in the South were pretty much stopping them at every turn. Um, later on in the uh, article it talks about how so this was kind of liberating and equalizing uh, for the black people there um, later on there was kind of counter movements and stuff like that and there was some more segregation brought back in but there was this kind of to and fro with um, this technology I guess uh, being uh, a, a mobilizer of uh, equality um, and that got me thinking about all right Video games are a technology, um, and there's obviously a lot of different types of video games. But I was wondering, have you guys seen at all uh, video games be an enabler, um, you think, to uh, minorities uh, or to certain groups of people at all? Um, And I guess following up from the poll results from uh, last week, I found it interesting that the answers that we're getting were about um, people kind of... uh, discovering more about their gender identity um, in a way that possibly they couldn't have as much without the video games they were playing. Um, I also wonder, you know, um, Susanna has said on previous episodes that um, when she's uh, played online um, and presented female, she's found there is still kind of uh, a lot of pushback on that and a lot of people being real dickheads to her pretty much. Mm. So so obviously uh, video games haven't kind of fully equalized everything, but I guess I just want to open that up for, to you guys. Have you experienced any sense of e- uh, equality through video games or anything like that? 
Yeah, I think like what you were saying before about how like um I was talking about how when I play as a woman and I get, you know, taught to make a sandwich, like I usually now if I'm playing MMOs, I'll play as a masculine type character um, just to kind of avoid that because I expect it. But also it's really interesting because like, um, you know, I use voice changes sometimes. Like so I guess I do kind of take it pretty like extreme to, to kind of not, experienced that but I was talking I was talking with this a while back with some others and and like there were quite a lot of us who do use voice changes how does that work so you just use like a software and it just takes like the when you talk into your mic it changes the output so you can sound uh more like you know a robot or you can make your voice sound like for me I just usually make it sound more masculine or like you're kind of serial killery or like <laughs> you can you can make it like kind of just just change the output so you can you, you can put your frequency up if you want to sound more feminine it just lets you kind of play with it um but you know if, if I've got so, so are you saying a lot of people you know use them so they don't get um people Attacking them online? Yeah. Is so, it for that reason? Yeah. So a lot of other uh, the women I know agreed with me and they're like, yeah, I use the voice changer too. And, you know, it sound hmm. more masculine or, you know, like a something from a horror movie. There's like a, you know, it's really popular to use like the Freddy, like, <laughs> like you know, Halloween and stuff. <laughs> and um, it, it just kind of like because you don't want to, I guess, you don't want to, like, I know I'm going to have to face it at least once if I go on as me. And some days I just don't feel like I'm not up to that. So, like, yeah. if, you know, if, like, it's, like, you can relax a bit, you can just play and you can just play like normal. And if you miss yeah. a shot, someone's not going to say, oh, look at you, you woman, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, you don't have to, to deal with that and... I guess that that's you know like um because we're in that game world I can choose that avatar that that I want and I can do a voice changer if I want but it, it's the game world that allows me to experience that what life might be like if I were not a woman I guess <laughs> for that that yeah. short period which is is um definitely interesting <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost it's interesting because it's like it enables you to kind of experience that from that point of view, but also maybe that the video game platform opens it up for people to also attack yeah. you more as well without repercussion, which is kind of crap. Yeah, um, and I guess you see a lot of like who people are, like, and we were talking about how games let you see who people are in the good way because they let us try and out new ways of being. But I guess also that anonym, anonymity mm. <laughs> lets, you know, trolls troll like as well because there's mm. no yeah. repercussions from that. There's always the, the positives and the negatives to that anonymity of like, yeah, being being able to express yourself in whichever way you want. But at the same time, it yeah, it takes away... Well, it, yeah, it gives it gives rise to and gives a voice to those who, yeah, want to say bad things without being, uh, without having consequences for doing that. And yeah, I, I guess yeah. And how do, how do games? I'm trying to think. How do games try to police that in a way? Like, there's you know, there's 
probably report systems and, and that sort of stuff to, to report when flaming happens and, and bad things happen. Um, but even now going into, you know, this sort of concept of the metaverse, like how will, yeah, how will companies try to enforce that or try to balance that freedom of expression with, um, yeah, with making the platform a safe, a safe space? I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer any of this because I the worst I've experienced is being told I suck at Sea of Thieves, which, let's be honest, I do. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, no, but you, it's, no, it's never Alex. been like, huh? No, you don't. Believe in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's never been, I've never been attacked for something I can't help, you know, online. So I'm, I'm in no position to, you know, make suggestions or anything like that. But I'm going to make a suggestion. Nah. Um, <laughs> It sounds like I, th- I think the modulator stuff is an is a awesome idea. Like listening to both sides of the does it then excuse the behavior because you're doing that? But I don't think the modulator is intended to solve an issue. Mm. I think it's like a seatbelt in a car. Mm. Like ideally, it would just be better to have drivers who don't hit each other, or you know, you just you mm. no one has you don't need the seatbelt. But until we get to a world where we have yeah. self driving cars or whatever it is that um, we have safety measures in the meantime so like you know uh, the way that people talk to each other now i feel again that experience a lot is a lot better with a lot more awareness of how to you know address your fellow human being as opposed to 20 years ago as opposed to 40 years ago so i think the education and that idea of expressing yourself i think the idea of expressing yourself is stronger now than ever but i think there's more of a understanding of what that actually the impact your what you do has so i think until we get to that point something like this is okay it's yeah i feel like it's also the fact that you know when you're playing online you're now exposed to so many more people from so many um different backgrounds and and that sort of stuff that then you would usually you know within your local community or within the groups that you typically or your friends and and things like that so you know it does it probably does bring about opportunity for for things like that to, to happen because people have differing opinions. I mean, yeah, there's a, I guess there's a there's a line between it being you know I have an opinion versus you have an opinion, and then it just flat out being abusive or harassment. So, um, yeah, it's and like you said, Alex, like having the voice modulator isn't isn't yeah you know it's that like that's the environment that that the game is in. So, um, using that tool. Is, is kind of like having to play in that environment to avoid having that harassment or um, or abuse. But, yeah, um, so it's an interesting. I guess uh, coming off that, though, I, I kind of want to ask you, Susanna, if you think um, – so the same way, I guess, the bicycles were kind of helpful to the black people in South America – in the Southern America um, at first, but then it obviously didn't fix racism and that's – still kind of rampant um do you feel like having uh mmos where you can kind of do you think video games this is a very vague question but do you feel like it is a step forwards um do you think that video games or surrounding tech will help uh with equal treatment for women or do you think that is entirely a social issue and that has to come from outside of technology yeah, I think that's a really hard one because, like, if we if we're thinking like 
women in video games, like we have to remember that Gamergate wasn't that long ago. Right, so like any like sure we're making steps forward from Gamergate, but like Gamergate had to happen for any mm. like for the positive kind of movement that to occur. And like if you think about how awful that was, like that wasn't that long ago. So we're still really, really new mm. in figuring out, hey, yes, games are for everyone. And and just kind of mm. having like as I think, like, as an industry, we've got a really big role to play in, like, making sure that we have diversity in our studios, making sure that we have a diverse representation in our games, making yep. sure that, you know, we're consulting with the right people, like, because, like, if we can't, you know, you can't be what you can't see, all of that. Mm, so, like, yep. we have to kind of make that visible, and we all have like to to do that. Like, we all have a responsibility to do that. And then once we've got that that visibility, which is what we're working on as an industry, I think really well, and we're getting there. Like then we'll get more diverse game developers, and we'll keep getting more diverse games out of that. Mm. And then we'll have a more kind of inclusive society. But like yeah, like you said, I don't think it's gonna solve like gender inequality, and I don't think it's gonna hinder it. It's like gotta go alongside it. Mm. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a big one though. <laughs> mm. Oh, obviously. Yeah. No, that's right. I wasn't expecting us to solve it right now. <laughs> but I Here think we it's go. We've good discussion it. to have. We've like... solved gender inequality. Yeah. <laughs> one podcast. Awesome. <laughs> good work, team. What? No, I think it's a good good discussion to have, though. Obviously, because um, and there there would be many more voices. Yeah out there apart from us on this show here definitely um, so it would be interesting as well if you guys are interested in what we're talking about feel free to discuss it on our discord as well yeah because yeah. we are, do want to hear from as many perspectives as yeah possible. What, what are some resources or, or sites people can visit to find out more about this um that's a good question i think kathy is uh uh kathy in the game dev in the adelaide game discord i think yeah, she's smart. done something on this in the past like put together a list or something Cool. And yeah, there are lots of groups that you can consult with about different things too. Like uh, I think a really important one is like going to the source. So like if you're making a game that has Indigenous representation, like make sure you talk to Indigenous people. Like don't just assume that whatever you're doing is right because it's not like it's not okay. And, you know, if you're writing from uh, if you're writing a woman in your game, like get a woman to read it. Like you've probably yeah. seen those stories where it's like, you know, it makes a joke of a man trying to write a woman and, like, every second word is, like, boob. <laughs> like, that's not how women think, so get them to read it. Or, you know, even, like, with a kid, if you're writing a kid, get a kid to read it because it's been, like, too long since, you know, you were a kid probably. So, <laughs> like, just, you know, go to the source, like, as much as possible. I think that's that's really important. Yeah. I think um, uh, so in the idea of... Video games and affected equi uh, equality. Um, I think um, accessibility. Um, mm. I think games have brought a huge light to accessibility about sure. how you know um, you know you can like. Uh, I think I've used this example before, but um, in the speedrunning community, you've got um, blindfolded speedruns, and you know a lot of them are just. I guess showboating, you know, they're like, oh, I can do this with my eyes closed. Um, but Zelda Ocarina of Time, 
they've got a lot of blindfolded speed runs, but they were actually developed because a fan of Ocarina of Time um, is blind and was said, I've always wanted to play that game, um, but I have no way of playing it. So a bunch of the speedrunners got together and they figured out how to do it, which is, you know, every step you take in most games, well, all games, is a unit of measurement. So every side hop Link makes is X amount of meters to the left or right. They know that if they hit their sword on a wall that's, you know, uh, rock, it's going to sound like rock if it's metal, um, if it's wood. Um, and you can watch entire speedruns where they're completely blindfolded and they're playing that game. And that was that speedrun was developed uh, so, you know, blind people can play that game. Um, it uses tricky techniques. But then, so you this, know, this is an interesting example because it's almost like the technology enables the opportunity for then the people to actually act on. So yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's still a social thing, but it's technology can provide more opportunities to actually like facilitates that, that kind of creation. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. at a minimum, like if, um, of, of what it could achieve is like, you know, someone, someone like me who, you know, isn't very like aware of a social issue such as blind people playing video games. Like it's not something that would come up on my radar. Um, but then through watching a speed run, I go, oh, okay, that's actually a concern. It's a it's a thing that's actually being pursued. Um, if, if yeah. The minimum I could do about it is, you know, tell other people about mm-hmm. it, that it's a thing. And it just normalizes. It starts that conversation, like you were mentioning before, Susanna, of just needing to start the conversation. There's, there's a really good um, website that I had come across, uh, which uh, I think actually ranks and rates how accessible a video each video game is. I can't remember what the website was called. Mm. but Is it um, part of the game was, accessibility guidelines? I, there's also that one as well. There's the, I think it's, I, I'm not sure if it's part of the same thing, but I have come across that, the, the accessibility guidelines, which help developers um, to be able to, yeah. yeah and really we should all mind. be designing at least to the For basic sure. level of mm. game accessibility guidelines and, if we think, I, I think so, yeah. yeah, if we can. And if you don't design with, with that in mind, then you're, it's almost like you're taking a, a stance to exclude those people. You know what I mean? Like mm. if you're designing and not having those things in mind, then you are in some way actively excluding those people from experiencing your game in the, you know, in the best way yeah. possible. Yeah, if you're not part um, of the solution, you're part of the problem, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But also and, it makes Mark's, business sense yeah. too, right? Like to, mm, to design sure. inclusively. It doesn't rule anyone out, but it adds potential customers. So. Yeah. And, and yeah. Microsoft has done, I think, a lot, of, like a lot in this space. They have that um, controller, which is like mm. it's like a really big controller, and they've they've done it so that you can essentially plug it into Xbox, and then you can plug in all sorts of other devices to this uh, controller, like you know, and, and and basically customize the controller in any way you want. I, I'm trying to explain this, but it it doesn't make sense through words. But if you look up. Um, yeah i think it's like the accessible controller or something and yeah Yeah. basically it lets you kind of map anything that you want any kind of motion or input to any kind of thing that you like so whatever Mm. you feels comfortable for you or whatever is the most accessible way of gaming for you you can map to the input that you need for any given game xbox adaptive controller that's what it's called that's very cool yeah, I am. Um, yeah, awesome. This is. I, I don't think the game helped in any way. Um, at and I, I don't think it was. 
it was through a disability. But um, when we were showcasing uh, Rooftop at um, Avcon 2018, uh, there was a kid there with his mom, and the kid was playing the controller. Was it upside down or was it backwards? But he was just playing it like as it was, like mm. control completely flipped around. It was upside down. I think it was upside down, um, as in like there were no buttons facing him or something like that. Like his his thumbs were on the on the triggers on the back, and his mom was like, "Yeah, that's just how he plays." And um, I I'm not even gonna make up like if if it helped or not. I it just that just made me think. Reminded it, me of wait. So he he chooses to play all games like that. She said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He just that's just how he plays. He's just the, the buttons are. I'm pretty sure that's how it was. Yeah, the buttons were so all his fingers, his you know, were on the face buttons, and the the triggers were mm, his thumbs a, on the triggers. That's a future speed runner right there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's old. He's, pr- he's probably got a YouTube page. <laughs> <laughs> Twitch. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, but I'll probably hand over to Costa now to take us in a different direction. Mm. Quite a different direction, but. Um, yeah, we've spoke a lot about NFT video games and, and sort of the push that the industry is having in this uh, in this space, and and typically it's been from a lot of uh, companies that have recently popped up, and and we've we've spoke about how you know Valve has um, sort of banned the use of blockchain games on their platform, um, but last week we had a pretty big announcement that Ubisoft. Um, is announcing something called Quartz, which is actually a blockchain-powered NFT cosmetic system. So um, they announced their first foray into the world of blockchain and NFTs. Um, so it's it's something called Quartz, and it will offer limited edition cosmetic items for Ubisoft games that can then be resold on third-party marketplaces for cryptocurrency. So it's launching in beta on December 9, and it's starting with items um, for Ghost Recon Breakpoint. So the NFT items uh, that they offer are called digits and each is a limited edition cosmetic item. Every digit, just like NFTs and, and sort of that um, in that uh, mindset, every uh, object is unique and is um, identifiable by a serial number that is visible on the item. So for example, a rifle may have um, an, a unique number on the magazine or a helmet could have it in, engraved across the rim. Um, furthermore, yeah, embedded in the digits metadata is also your your Ubisoft Connect name, uh, username. So as the digits sold to new owners, their usernames are added to the metadata and it creates this history of ownership and, um, yeah, I guess, lineage for the NFT and who's owned it previously. Um, in addition, it also comes with a video file showing the item being used in-game. So again, it's it's going to be available for Ghost Recon um, on PC, and I think they're doing a couple of different things to start off with, like a Wolves skin for their rifle for a rifle in the game, a helmet, pair of pants, um, different different cosmetic items, and um, yeah, I guess it's interesting in the in the in the push how this is probably the first um, you know traditional let's say AAA studio that has started to incorporate this new technology into um its games and it's and it's announcing this sort of yeah these plans um to move into this new space that's sort of called play to earn um yeah and 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 again valve has stamped down and said that they're not using nfts in any way in their in their um store and and epic games has um agreed that they are so yeah what are your thoughts on this this is something we're gonna see a lot of i reckon and 
I'm incredibly skeptical here because, uh, look, I'm not an NFT expert, but anytime it's a centralized platform that you have to use them on, for example, Ubisoft games, uh, it kind of begs the question, like, do you actually have to be using blockchain to do it? Or is this just kind of a buzzword mm. for it? Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Keanu Reeves' reaction from that interview that he <laughs> recently did <laughs> for no. The Matrix. Yeah, I did. Uh, it's a kind of this is parallel to this, but um, was it this? I think Whoa. no, <laughs> no. He's saying what a lot of people were kind of thinking, which is uh, the the interviewer asked him something about whether they're going to do. Oh, what do they think about NFTs that you know can't be copied and how that relates to The Matrix? And Keanu is just like. Yeah, but they can be easily replicated. And then he just like bursts out laughing. And um, people have just like cut that clip and they've shared it everywhere <laughs> all over Twitter. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people are kind of looking at all these kind of metaverse articles and stuff coming up and going, all right, cool. They're doing NFTs. It's working on the blockchain. There is a certain element of, you know, you own it there. But if you can only use it in Ubisoft games, I mean, they could have done this exact same thing way before blockchain was even a thing. Mm. Um, the I think the whole push of blockchain is that it's decentralized to the point where you can take it outside of these little platforms of Ubisoft and you can move it across completely different experiences. So, yeah, well, yeah, that's could, a good point. But you could always move it across Ubisoft experiences, which you know maybe they're they're trying to build their own like marketplace within. I mean, but again, like you mentioned, what what is it? What is it that's different that they couldn't have done earlier using their already existing platform? And and to me the NFT the, these NFTs like they don't seem that unique. It's like all right, a digit a digit is etched on the edge of, you know, it's yeah. not like it's not like each item is unique in a way. You know, it's not like there's ten helmets and each one is a different color. It's like they literally just have a well f- from this explanation. It's just a digit on the side of the the helmet that's different. Which it's like having a barcode, an item with a barcode on it. And also, like, how long are you going to be playing that game for? Yeah, true. It feels like you know, like when they started in just bringing in cosmetic items to games like you know with like team fortress and the hats or whatever like yeah that's cool but like why would you spend a significant amount of money Mm. in that when it's like literally an aesthetic thing for that game right like some people will though and ubisoft uh, will probably get a percentage of every trade made as well. Mm. Mm. Um, and like, these yeah. might be traded outside of the Ubisoft games, in which yeah. case I guess it's like any other NFT where it's a collector's item. Well, but if, yeah. if they ever like if they ever get to the point where they say, you're no longer allowed to use this NFT in our game, then they've pretty much broken the reason that you want yeah. NFTs. So, yeah. Well, here's, an, here's an interesting... Um, I forgot to add this, but actually the the how how you are eligible to claim this and some of these nfts like for example the rifle requires that in uh in ghost recon you have reached xp level five and um the pants demand that you've played at least 100 hours and the helmet demands that you've played at least 600 hours so the the logic here from uh i think his name is Baptiste Chardon, uh, Ubisoft's blockchain business and product director, explained that the idea is to focus on our most engaged players with this first batch of NFTs. 600 hours. If Okay, so video game addiction, I think it's like over nine hours a day, something like that. So if you had video game addiction, it would take you 67 days to unlock that helmet. 
But yep. how's that any different most... than like regular in-game items? Like, yeah, exactly. It's True. like the same as the Steam cards, right? Like you get them from playing a certain amount of to a point, and then you can trade them within Steam to other people, or you can sell them for like point zero zero one cents or whatever it is. And mm. so, how is that the, different than yeah. than that? Just because it's called yeah. NFT, like. I'm not, I, already, I remember I asked yeah. that a while ago as well. Is like people have been selling skins on um, uh, um, what's it called the the shooting one? CS:GO. CS:GO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the shooting. Oh yeah, the shooting one. <laughs> the shooting the one. He knew FPS exactly what I meant. <laughs> so is, this, is it a website, right? CS:GO skins or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a whole marketplace. Where's a cat? Yeah. Like Huge a, marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. I just cat. ran past my window. It freaked just me out. Sorry. Um. But yeah, you're right. That's the same thought I had. Is like, how is? I mean, the only difference is this is now like a the whole NFT. But another thing is how, but, yeah, like where? Wait, so you can make basically the one liner is you can make money playing video games because you 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 make you work enough to to earn these items. The, the, I think the key here is, I mean, I don't know how it, it will work in this Ubisoft system, but. The key is that you play enough or you you almost like mine these and then they given that people are like if people are playing the game then those items are valuable and you can essentially play enough that these that you get these that you earn these items that are then you know you can then sell for a certain amount of of money so it's kind of yeah it's, it's got like this play to earn um thing behind it and i mean if you if you look at um if you look at sort of people would people have already been doing this like way back in you know World of Warcraft people were were getting these items and then going off off of World of Warcraft and selling them for actual money and then you got this introduction of Steam Marketplace and you know you got this centralized um, way of transacting and trading and selling items mm. and and it sort of took the power away from I would say the user to be able to uh you know make the most money out mm. of it and there's probably there's the intermediary now of steam yeah. taking a huge cut out of all of this like they they're profiting huge the idea yeah. in the the ethos would now be to have and give power back to the players to be able to make all the money on the products but i i'm not sure if some of these aaa companies will be able to implement it in in you know using that ethos cuz at the end of the day they're the ones that need to profit off of it I, I think something they've got to be careful of as well though is so I don't know whether in these cases it's like only one set is available of the wolf skin for example I, I think one of the skin yeah it says in the article there's a wolf skin oh for, I, think, no, I think said wolf the like <laughs> you know like a like wolf doggo yeah <laughs> I, I don't know with any of these items whether it's only like one or a couple and so therefore you know it's in, intrinsically valuable because you can be the only player that's wearing it and everyone sees you and you can take that across their different games. Like, that's really cool. But at the same time, that introduces the kind of artificial scarcity thing. And we're mm. talking about equality in games just before. This yeah. introduces an inequality between the players yeah. who have enough money to buy these items and but, the players that don't have enough money. But you can play and earn it on your own you know what i mean if you do 600 out if you put the, it in this yeah, circumstance it's right, like it's not it's not quite payable it couldn't it like, couldn't be the same <laughs> yeah. it couldn't be the payable. same item given to everyone that <laughs> does 600 hours though because if it is the same item given to everyone that does 600 hours then it's not it's not it's 
own thing. Yeah. It's not an NFT. It's, yeah. I mean, they, I, don't, they might, I don't get it. They might do like 50 items and the first 50 to get to 600 hours gets it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, right. it mm-hmm. is scarcity, right? Like there's a, there's mm-hmm. a certain like set of digital, um, yeah, items and, and that's, that's all there's ever going to be. But those, yeah, and then those items will, well, well, people will play to get to the, to get those items because the, the scarcity will mean that they will end up selling for more in future. So, Tell yeah. you what, Costa, I'm going to hold you responsible for this. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Just because just you presented the article. <laughs> it's, it's also, um, it's a new, not is it like a new technology, it's a complete new way of thinking, but they're shoehorning it into yeah. a mechanic that already exists. So we're not, mm. we're still not seeing the potential of NFT. They're just... This is just a bunch of people in a boardroom tapping their fingers on the table and going, what about uh, helmets? Yeah. Like, this still isn't the actual potential I'll, of... I love that. It's like, oh, yeah, my kid showed me this TikTok last night and they're yeah. talking about this <laughs> NFT thing. You guys are yeah. going to love it. <laughs> it's it's still not that. And I, I said the same thing with the metaverse, that with them using VR as the vehicle to explain it to us. It's because that's the technology that's out at the moment. But... I don't know. Yeah, it's this is like okay. Uh, have you guys heard what people? Actually, I'm going to rephrase that because that's way open to interpretation. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to pose it as a question. I'm going to tell you, pineapples <laughs> back in the day, and when I talk back in the day, I, I mean like hundreds of years ago, people would just rent them for the night. I've read this online, so it's got to be true. What? They would rent pineapples for the night. If you're having a party, if John's having a party, and Costa's like, you know what, I'm a I'm a peasant from. I don't know where. I don't. I've never seen a pineapple in my life. I go to John's house. He's got a pineapple. Costa goes, "Oh shit, John's someone." It's the same reaction as when you see the uh, Pixel Punk NFTs. Look it up. Look up. Look up. I don't know. You know what that reminds me of? Though. Look up pineapple parties. That's a six. Reminds me of those uh, YouTube adverts where the highly successful guys like rented the Lamborghini. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm just here with my Lamborghini, and if you want to be like me, he would pineapple in my garage. Yeah, that's right. That's the one. Um, Yeah, the super luxe history of pineapples. Here we go. Before. We're talking 17th century. 17th century in England. So. If you pineapples don't grow here, there's no way you're getting a pineapple there. They are worth so much money, right? So you would just have it at a party. No one was allowed to eat it. You just had it as your centerpiece. I have a pineapple, right? The two dollars now down at you know Tony and Marks, um, like. But th- that's to me what NFTs feel like. It's because it hasn't reached the potential of what it can be. So it's just people, you know, I setting know them as their saying. skins and see us. It, or, yeah, or yeah. It, or it kind of reminds me of like early probably like when websites were first a thing and it's just like oh i have a i'm a you know i'm a car salesman and now i am online and it's just like this whole landing page that doesn't really do anything but they can just say that they're online all right how do those gifts um <laughs> yeah yeah like really bad here's here's to here's to really uh solidify that pineapple connection a pineapple back then apparently cost eight thousand US dollars, which is eleven thousand two hundred thirty-six Australian dollars. So this wow. isn't far off the NFT concept. Mm. Did they? But they're renting the pineapple. I don't think so. I, I think they're just. Yeah, you wouldn't want was, it. They were just renting it. Does that count for inflation? Uh, well, that's, it just says one <laughs> pineapple could pineapple? cost as much as eight thousand dollars in today. Yeah, it does in today's <laughs> dollars. How so long ago was this uh, pineapple thing? This is seventeen hundreds. Oh, well. 
Because, yeah, my, my grandfather me, told me a similar story about bananas during the war. Like, like when he, because he yeah. was, like, young during the war and he was a kid and, like, some kid in his class had, like, a banana at school for some reason and, like, the school, like, stopped and they literally, like, took all the kids <laughs> to, like, the assembly room to look at this banana and everyone was, like, oh amazed because they'd never seen a banana. That and that was, like, insane. only was in the st- 40s, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, I think back in 2012, the, the you would have got the same reaction. There was a cyclone <laughs> in Queensland, but all the yeah. banana prices went up. Yeah, super because um, the scarcity is banana trees only grow bananas once, and then you got to cut it down. Really, they only grow one thing. So when the cyclone hit and knocked out all the banana trees, it. I think um, we should do like a NF, like a fruit NFT collection. <laughs> <laughs> bananas and pineapples, uh, fruit Love ninja it. NFT. Yeah. Oh. Can I throw something else in here, actually? Uh, Something else I read recently, back in the day, back around the 1700s as well, I think it was. (laughs) Um, So, you guys know pearls that come from, I guess, clams (laughs) and uh, shellfish like that, uh, how they're highly valuable. Um, I think it was in the 18th century, um, a guy in Japan figured out a way how to make artificial pearls, but they were kind of made using clams. You could put pretty much anything into the clam and if you did it a certain way, it created a pearl. And they ended up becoming really valuable in Europe um, and even outselling normal pearls. And there's this whole like debate over the years and like legal <laughs> proceedings and things about whether they should be allowed to be sold or not. And relating it back to this, I'm wondering, I don't know if this is possible, but I'm wondering whether they set up a platform like this and they say, yes, we accept NFTs and they can go across. Um, and NFTs by definition can't be destroyed because they're on the blockchain if someone finds a way to kind of forge these nfts Mm. um to actually use them in ubisoft games Mm. would they have to accept them would they have to be usable there or will they just shut down the whole thing then and be Mm. like (laughs) can't be done like they let a virus in like they let something tainted in yeah it'll still exist that's the power of the blockchain it's like they they probably couldn't validate that it that it was a real thing so that's really where it like probably it has a lot of power in that way versus someone who was hacking the like playing a game traditionally hacking it and then somehow had this you know amazing skin like that that everyone mm. else had like there was probably there is no way to validate that that's that skin have to black uh, have to block list them kind of thing yeah yeah maybe maybe, maybe it's a positive in that way but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting space. So, I guess we'll see it. Um, crazy new world. Yeah. Evolve. Yes. Uh, I think, Susanna, you had an article for yeah. us, didn't you? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, I wanted to really see what you guys thought and what our listeners thought as well about um, an article that I co-wrote with one of my colleagues at work, um, which is in the conversation this week, um, which is about mothers who game um so really what we were looking at is like because we're both mums who play games and we were kind of talking about how it's like not really a huge thing that you hear about like you hear about like you know women being like half of gamers but you don't really hear very much about mothers and like in our article we talked a bit about like my colleague's um phd work she interviewed a whole bunch of Um, people and a lot of them were mothers and they started talking about how they played games but we found that a lot of she found that a lot of them who were talking about playing games were kind of like dismissive of their gameplay or like 
kind of acted like it was a waste of time or like something to do when they'd done everything else or like they kind of had this sense of like guilt or like you know like it wasn't something that they should be kind of doing um Mm. and like you know we, we kind of looked in the article about how it's kind of there's a bit of gendered expectations around like you should kind of only do those things when you're like not doing mother stuff like mother stuff can't include gaming um and like and you know we didn't really get a chance to touch on this in the article but like I think like I was thinking about like a lot of the the women that she spoke to um talked about how they do casual gaming a lot of casual gaming and um statistics show that a lot of casual gamers are women um more so I think 67 percent or something um casual gamers identify as female so it's it's like the casual gaming and and people are like kind of well why is that and and i'm pretty sure like we didn't touch on this in the article but i think it's interesting and i I think it's something to think about i think that that women and mothers in particular probably make up a lot of casual gamers because like you can stop and start really easy to like fit in with your childcare, so like you can't like I used to play MMOs, but like you can't really play MMOs with young kids because like oh oh look they're hungry right now. Okay, well I'm in an instance. Oh okay. Um, <laughs> sorry everybody, I'm just you know gonna stop, and then everybody's pissed at you because you know you needed three players for that boss, and now everyone's dead, and you know but you had to feed the baby who woke up right then, and you can't like you can't pulse right. Mm. So, and even like, not just online things, but even things like Bloodborne, you can't pause, right? Mm. So you just, you just die or you, you tend to your children. So like mm. you, you kind of, you, you're really limited, I guess. You're, you're more limited in what you can do. So I wonder if that's kind of why those like casual games are more mm. accessible for mothers and like, yeah, I wonder, what do you do, guys do think? Do you think there's also, a, do you think there's a bit of a, culture among mothers because you're saying like how a lot of them talk about how they can only play games after they've done everything else like is it do you feel like it's frowned upon to play games as a mother or do you get that sense from other mothers or not really that's what i was gonna say does the guilt come from other mothers i don't know i think well i think in society we kind of have this well there is this gendered expectation that women are like the primary caregivers right and like Mm -hmm. you know we we have to fight against that and like a lot of us have you know relationships that are more well balanced and friends who are more well balanced but there's still kind of like this huge part that runs through society that says oh you know that the woman's the one who's expected to do blah 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 and there's this thing called the mental load which is like you know the the mother's the one who's supposed to remember like when the birthdays are and to write the christmas cards and like the school uniform day, whatever, whatever. I'm really bad at remembering this stuff. <laughs> I need my kids to help me. But, like, there's still kind of this expectation. So, like, you know, sometimes I guess, you know, people, like, you know, they might come home from work and then they have to try and remember all of that stuff. So their brain's kind of, like, all in this space. And then, you know, maybe also there's that thing where, like, casual games are more, like, kind of chill like they maybe use slightly less processing power than something where i have to try and remember six steps ahead what the boss is going to do like if you're playing bloodborne mm. so i don't know also there if maybe there's that thing mm. where you your brain power is kind of being like your cpu's got not much left because it's like in all these different yeah. places yeah. but yeah I, I guess i don't think it's like yeah. other mums like i've never been shamed by other mums for playing games like i've okay. always kind of had them sympathize like oh yeah you know 
I used to play games, but now, like, whatever, or, you know, we can't play an MMO. Mm. Cause what made me... <laughs> yeah, because um, when John said a, a cultural thing, something like that, it made me made me think about how, um, uh, you know, I, I know with not so much my family, my family doesn't, isn't, doesn't do this, but... I know, like with the other Italian families or a lot of like um, ethnic families, you know, they they they're big on tradition. And if you know the mothers, as you said, they they cop it worse than anyone else. But if they break certain traditions or something, it's the it's it was always not always, but a, a large chunk of the guilt would come from how they would look to other women or other mothers. Yeah. Um, in, in that, like you know, like uh, I don't know if it's uh, other ethnicities are like this but like you know there was a thing around uh oh who cleans the dishes right like oh after lunch the guys go out in the backyard and smoke and talk and um you know oh, alex you go out there you know and um mm. but you want to stay inside dry the dishes or something like that but that was but that but the i'm gonna be careful how i word this <laughs> on behalf of my family and just what, it, what, it, what it's you know implying <laughs> but um the pressure just also came from the aunties and the mums and stuff like that mm. of just being like, no, no, this is what we have to do. And like, if 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 one of them went out there, then or something, the other ones were gonna, but they were gonna get judged by everyone. But like, it's like you can't break the mold. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you've been that raised your whole life with those expectations, yeah. I guess, and that's what's been modelled mm. to you from the generation before. And mm. you know, I guess that's what their mothers told them that's what we do mm. or showed them with their actions. So they go, Oh, that's what we do. And kind of continue that maybe. Well, yeah. And one thought I had um, about the article, which is a really good article. Um, everyone it's on the conversation.com. Half of Australia's gamers are women. Uh, but we know very little about mothers who game. Um, really good. article. Everyone will post a link to that. Um, won't we cost a cost? Mm. Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Costa. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the thoughts that I had reading it, I, I was wondering, I wonder what impact that has on their children. Like, um, if if um, you know a mother doesn't feel comfortable to game, does that does that get passed on to the children? That like what you're doing is kind of a guilty thing, or um, like yeah. uh, for example, my mum used to game, like, but not not but like be a big gamer because um, you know we just didn't have that interest in the house but it made me be incredibly just inadvertently just reflecting on it now incredibly comfortable to play a video game or um you know <laughs> mom had to look after the uh digimon in the bank line you know she'd have three going you know and <laughs> she'd be so playing cool. them or <laughs> yeah this is old school but um it'd be that or you know we'd play mario party um she'd play zelda um Actually, yeah, even up until year twelve, uh, <laughs> it's um, I'd have to wake up so I could um, uh, tend to her farm or her kitchen on Farmville or the the, <laughs> the one on Facebook. Like she didn't want to do it; she had to go to work tomorrow. She's like, "You're up doing your homework. Go to my go, go manages for me." And I, I, I'm like, "I'm in year twelve. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I had to do it." So that's so nice. But, you know, I love as a, that. <laughs> yeah, and and it was great. And like, I've never been like a a, a big gamer but um it's not it wasn't for any it was just my own interests it, like you know I'm, I'm more of a casual gamer so I, it was facilitated in my household let's say like um i always felt safe to do that so that's that, sorry i'm just i'm just waffling now but basically that's what i was wondering is 
if if a mother then has that expectation that she can't play video games, I guess it depends on the severity of how much she can't play. But does that have an impact on her children? Mm. And and I think like that's that's really that's really cool because I had a pretty different childhood. Like my parents were like games are a waste of time like why are you playing games they're a waste of time and like I, I think it took them like literally like just you know me doing a phd in games for them to go oh okay it's gonna say do they know what you do now <laughs> yeah well that was a fun day when i took him to my office <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's awesome. laughs> hey dad look <laughs> It's like you called it interactive media for the longest time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to university to study interactive media. (laughs) (laughs) They would have just heard university and been like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. But yeah. I'd be really. Oh, sorry. No, you go, John. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I was just because I I find it really interesting to hear from um, any fathers who are maybe the primary caregiver in their family whether they're a single father or even um, not a single father, but they, I guess, take a lot of the mental load that you were talking about, Susanna, whether they find that also uh, changes the way they play games or stops them from playing games. Yeah. Um, And I think my, my partner is a really good example of that um, because like he, he was an animator and he, when we had our youngest, he stopped working because my work was more stable. So he mostly cares for our daughter and he used to like be really into souls like games so you know mm. all the bloodborns, all the you count pulls, yeah. And and now like he doesn't he doesn't play them at all. So anything he plays now, like he will read. It has to be, you know, single player campaign, yeah, plausible. And you know also um you know if you're gonna play it when kids are awake at all, it has to be not too scary. Like mm, so you have yeah. to think about all those mm. things. Is there gore? Is there blood? Is it frightening? You know, like even if they're doing an activity with someone else in the next room, they could walk in. Like, what have you got mm. on the screen? Can you stop it? Can you get to the menu? Like, you know, it's just yeah. It's so that, yeah. Careful. That, yeah, that would be so interesting. Like from a research perspective, to see the the gameplay habits and how they change from when you go um, from being, you know like from not having um, children and then having children because the things you're mentioning is is a lot about you know the concern for other people whereas you know when you're when you don't have kids you're just like what do i enjoy the most and like will i like this yeah yeah, but but then you start thinking of all these other things that like come in and sort of like um help you filter out what kind of uh, experience that yeah what game you want to play and and even from you you mentioned earlier you played mmos and how did your gameplay habits change and what kind of games did you go for when you started playing, I guess, more casual games? Like, did that MMO interest play into the kind of games that you chose or what other considerations did you have? Yeah, I think, like, for me, like, I was super tired. Like, like because when you got young kids, you're super tired all the time. So, like, like MMOs, like, I used to play, like, at night, a bunch of us. We'd all log on, like, you know after work or whatever after dinner it's like eight or nine o'clock you log on you play for a few hours you end up going to bed at one or two or whatever but when you've got like young kids you're like tired all the time so it's like you know nine o'clock and you're like okay I'm going to bed (laughs) so like even just with like the type of games like the, the the times that you play and the times that you have available and like just those kind of blocks of game you don't really get now so like like for me now now like 
my youngest is like she's nearly three so she's starting to sleep like a bit more decently now if I want to play I'll play in like hour and a half blocks after she's gone to bed but before I go to bed and I don't do MMOs in case she wakes up so because you know if she wakes up I have to go put her down so I'll play you know life is strange or something like a narrative driven thing but that I can pause and stop Mm. And the chapters are the best. Anything with chapters is great because you feel the progress then. You're like, oh, you know, even if I only got halfway through a chapter tonight, I still got halfway through a chapter. Like <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can see that you're actually making some progress, I guess. I wonder if there's a guide out there for like these kind of like finding these kind of games, you know, parents that are suitable games. for. Yeah, well, every yeah, year like at PAX yeah. Australia, there used to be a parenting panel. At PAX where people mm, talked about, like, you cool. know, cool games to play with your kids or, like, stuff like this that they considered and, you know. Just yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, I know this is different but we're talking about accessibility standards before but you could almost have, like, standards for parents, you know, things like you're talking about, like, the, the pause menu. Yeah. It's so crucial here. It keeps mm. coming up. And I wonder, you know, if, if that was kind of made as a standard or people were aware of these things that make it helpful for parents, would that mean we would see more people gaming into later stages of life just for that half the population who has kids? You know, would they be gamers and how, how would that kind of, I guess, shift society to be uh, more gamers across the board kind of thing? No. I just had a, yeah, just had a thought on that as well, which is, um, you know, the average age of gamers is going up and then um, I, I just, did a Google of seeing like what the average age of mothers is in Australia. And it's like, uh, it's about 29, 29.4 years old. So, and that's rising. It, it rose, um, tw- it was 27.9 in 2009 and now it's 29.4. So in 10 years, it's gone up a couple years. So it's, I guess, increasing at a slower rate than games, but <laughs> we'll get to a, like, you just mentioned like accessibility, like pause menu, like they've got parental mode, you know, in games, but it's for the kids. Like, will they have, a, when those two Venn diagrams or whatever overlap and the average age of gamers is the average age of parents or something, like... Yeah, well... Do gonna... we know the average age of gamers? Uh, yeah, it's like 30... 35. Yeah, I think it's 35. So, so that average gamer age is higher than the average parent age. Then. Mother age, yeah, in Australia. Oh, there you go. Maybe it's not stopping it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of parents. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. It's cool. Bring her on. There you go. Authentic. We're a verified parent here. There we go. That yeah. was just, yeah, for proof. <laughs> that was uh, Costa asking his mom for a coffee. <laughs> no, but, yeah, no, I think I think yeah. something that, like, in, you know, because, like, in the article we wrote about, like, there's heaps of health benefits to gaming. Like, we know because, you know, we play, but, like, you know, just, like, stress reduction and things that, like, you know, parents could use, um, but also like mm. this, like they there's this, a bunch of studies into like when you play with your kids, and like how it can strengthen the bond that you have. Mm. So like that's that's, so true. that's really interesting too, because like if you you know if you play with your kids, like you just see, like you know, oh, like Minecraft is the most boring game ever to me, but like. My ten-year-old loves Minecraft, right? So, yeah. looking you look around as you say that. Like, he's not in here in the room, is he? Like he's gonna hear. <laughs> but like you know, when he plays, like he, you know, sees it differently and shows me all the cool things he's made. And like you know, I'll walk around this village and he'll explain everything to me. And like you can just see like how happy he is and how like 
proud of, of so that cool. it is. Like, but you know, like it's definitely strengthens your relationship even. Yeah, well, he's lucky he's That's got awesome. a mum that you know can appreciate that, even if she doesn't like it. You know, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> Actually, my my like best memories, some of my best memories of my childhood are playing, you know, around that age and younger, um, playing N sixty four with my dad. You know, like and you know the biggest highlight of my life is getting to tell Grant Kirkhope that you know him and I like love the soundtrack to GoldenEye. You know, Aww. we just play GoldenEye, we'd play Rogue Squadron, play Mario sixty four, Mario Kart, like. I've got images of dad falling asleep, playing uh, Rogue Squadron by himself, just trying to get the medals, you know, like one in the morning, he's asleep, N64 controller in his hand. He's an old school Italian, you know, worked in a, at this time, he's working in a warehouse, learning a computer engineering or something, not even doing that. Like, it was just like such a different culture shock and, you know, just, that's just such a good memory, you know, of just them both being just so accepting of video games and, but not making any, it wasn't like any, it wasn't like a point of the family. It was just like, that's just a part of it. So nice. It's such a lovely yeah, memory. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And remember, you all, you all get to meet him if you go to the game jam. <laughs> <laughs> go to the game jam. Play, play GoldenEye with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or remake. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Alex, you had an article, didn't you? I did. I did. Um, Technically, it's not my article. Do, <laughs> it is hey, do you want to segue us in? Because no one's actually done segues this, oh, this yeah. episode. you gotta, you got to lead us. Oh, fudge. Uh, you got all the pressure now. I love it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have... Um, uh, no, nah, I got nothing. I, I, Speaking I got- of statistics, <laughs> it would help if I could even talk. Speaking <laughs> of statistics about the gaming age... Alex here has some statistics about the gaming industry. There we go. And the age, I guess, is included in that. Um, Let me just bring up the other thing that I need, which is the right one. Yeah, okay. So this comes from IGEA, um, who we've read their articles in the on past episodes. Um, every year they put out um, the, uh, what, what would you even call it? The uh, Australian Game Development Industry Snapshot. Um I don't know what the equivalent is for other industries, but you know, everyone who's in game development waits for this thing to come out and it comes out and we all rush to it. <laughs> Makes it sound like it's hot off the press. And it, it is. It, it is. Around a table. <laughs> I remember being in game. The Plus one copy. <laughs> when the, I think last year's the one before came out and um, yeah, exactly. It's like hot off. Yeah. Hot off the press. Um, but uh, the title of the article is Australian Game Development Industry Doubles Revenue to $226 million over the past five years. So some key stats is there's been a... So from the 2020 to 2021 year, income generated by Australian game development studios is $226.5 million, which is a 23% increase over the last year. Um. There's uh, 1,327 full-time employees, um, which is an increase in 7%. Something I thought was cool is 14% are based in South Australia. And I'm pretty sure it was like the 2017-ish report. I think we were either 2% or 1%. It was something like that. I remember telling people, if you had 100 people in Australia in game development, none of them are in Adelaide. Um, So, you know, we're on the map. That makes us the second biggest Mm. full-time employee location. Hey, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty amazing. South Wales. Yeah. 
We beat uh, New South Wales. Yeah. Wait, are you serious? That's crazy. Oh, wow. Victoria's got 57%. New South Wales, 13%. Big drop, 13%. And then... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. 57%. Then we're 14%. And then New South Wales is 13%. Um... Uh, they beat us in studio location, though. They did. Um, so there's more studios in New South Wales than South Australia, which means we must be doing more remote work. Or bigger um, studios, I guess. We've just got yeah. Mighty Kingdom. Uh, yeah, good Maybe point. it's all Mighty Kingdom. Um, 14% Mighty Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that as well. Was, yeah. Maybe they're just siphoning people from New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. Just bringing them in. <laughs> um, 82% of the income is generated from overseas. So... Um, you know, that's pretty huge. Wow. That's yeah. And that's sport. something I've been watching with all these reports over the years is it's always been around the 80% mark, um, which makes me think if it, has, if, if it hasn't bumped up from this where it says double revenue in the past five years and in that time it hasn't really changed, it's got to just be the size of the market because we're so small in comparison to like America's like 10 mm. times our population. So that would make sense why it hasn't changed. Mm. Um, but it still has the same key problems over the last like five years which are hiring employees with specialized skills um <coughs> unreal devs um <laughs> like in south australia there are, are not a lot of unreal devs um have you opened unreal engine 5 like <laughs> come on get in it it's so good <laughs> um no th- that is a huge growing spot and um there isn't a lot of like you can name the people who are like specializing in Unreal Engine? Um, so, shout out, like, Alex. I imagine that would be. <laughs> I do not. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do not. Specialize. I was say shout out, Pat and George Pat Martin and, George. and Susanna with the the partnership with UniSA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like yeah, we, we, we when we were in Melonhead, we recognized that like there wasn't um, an Unreal thing, and you know, one of our ethos, uh, ethos, our things was we wanted to be the Unreal people. Um, and those who successfully did it, I think, like, you know, a lot of people go to them to help with um, that stuff. And anyway, so another problem, attracting early stage dev funding um, and lack of appropriate government funding. Um, yeah, which that I, felt. Uh-huh. Is there a, cor- is a correlation That, that one's there, definitely right? felt, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. If um, funding increased to early stage dev funding, then... Yeah, and they've been the solved. same problems always. Yeah, like yeah. Those, those three... Um, which we've talked about with, you know, James Marshall and stuff like that about the lack of, um, funding and, um, I've imposed like, I was like devil's advocate. How much does that actually rely on the government? Like uh, basically trying to start the conversation of what do other countries and states and like, we already know that the other states offer in some cases better incentives or something like that. But, um, uh, actually, one interesting stat I wanted to say to you, John, <laughs> was the employee yes. breakdown, right? Um, so, uh, audio represents the smallest portion yeah, that at 2%, wow. which is so odd because... Does, and that does, is that including uh, contractors? It, uh, or is say. that just internal? Oh, that's probably Because, why. yeah, Get- there's been a huge shift in the last couple of decades of uh, in-house audio people to external so uh, i think most people are freelancers now that makes sense um, and whether they're actually included in those stats i don't know because i'm pretty um, sure if i look out in the tree outside my house i can see two musicians asking if they want to 
do music for my game. Like, <laughs> they're everywhere. That's why it well, makes sense. Well, that's, so, that's something you said you experienced on Rooftop, I think, was it? You were having people emailing a lot, asking to do yeah, audio, like was it? Day. Yeah, was yeah, that yeah, the yeah. cat that walked was past it specifically before Alex? Yeah. yeah, the cat was <laughs> dropping his demo tape off. <laughs> that's right. And he, he spelled Melonhead wrong in the... <laughs> <laughs> Meow and um, head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> that was that was good though. Um, it it is. And I look, I mean, I I guess my thoughts on that is that audio is one of those real tough areas where um you know, if you want really good audio in your game, yeah, you need to hire a few audio people. Um but you never need as many audio people as you need visual artists or programmers mm. or managers or <laughs> pretty much anyone else. Yeah, because how would you have enough work for unless you had constant projects going on that you always needed some sort of audio? Like, you know, if as like, again, I'm not from an audio background, but if you did the audio for a certain project, like where's, you know, unless there's multiple projects, like where's the other work going to come from? Mm. Yeah, and that, that was always part of my challenge. And I mean, i got to uh, say that I also work in IT now because of this. <laughs> um, but part of the thing is like um, even when you're having multiple projects going on at the same time, it's like any freelance job. Um, that, that comes, there's a special kind of, I guess, stress that comes with having to manage multiple projects, both internally but also um, managing relationships with multiple clients at the same time as well. So... It is, it's an inconsistent uh, industry. Um, it's quite s- scarce. A lot of audio people are very introverted and it's kind of hard to network. Though it is happening. Um, like fortunately, I'm part of a few audio groups, so it is happening. Um, a shout out to Chris Larkin and some of the other guys that are making that happen. Nice. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's a few challenges there, which I think, which is why the, often, you know, when there are very successful audio people, um, everyone wants them kind of thing which mm. is awesome so you're a hot uh, commodity mm. yeah well I mean the the real the real big names uh, I mean you look at people like Hans Zimmer and movies um, mind you um, I, I don't know the extent to this and uh, but I have heard that um, when you see Hans Zimmer's name on a movie there may be other people also working behind that so mm. Uh, it's like the brand he, of Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is very much a brand. Yeah. I think he does a lot of work, but yeah, to the extent of that, how deep that iceberg goes, I don't know. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, um, one number which, you know, it's, it can be explained, I'm sure, but um, always, ugh, I don't know, the, mar- the, the management, admin, and marketing, um, that, this is where you get your oil and water, you get business mixing with creatives because they make up in this in Australia, they make up for 14%, um, which means there's more than um, designers, Mm. audio writers, QA producers. So there is double the amount of management, admin and marketing than there are producers, right? Which totally makes sense when, when you kind of break it down, but there's just something off about it I, and I'm, I'm glad they kind of link they they lump that together because management and mark and admin i can understand it's it's the marketing that's the sticking point for me and i said this as someone who works in marketing so you know mm. like i very aware of the uh, how do you say it the, the power of marketing you know it can go either way but the Otherwise. fact that you know like 
7% of produ- uh, producers, right? So if, if, if you break this down, you say it's a single team, you've got one person producing, let's say coming up with the idea or even designers, right? So the amount of designers and producers together in one team almost matches the amount of management, admin and marketing. So you could have two people, a designer and a producer, or you could have two producers or you could have two designers in a team and you're going to need four management, admin, marketing, but the problem is, is they'd lump yeah. those together. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to add, I wonder if that is like, it would be interesting to see the breakdown of that across the team sizes because the larger you get as a company, the more managers and marketing and that sort of stuff you need. If you start looking at indie companies, indie devs, teams of four, probably up to 10, I doubt you'd see, I mean, you might see one marketing person, but all those other roles, admin roles and all that sort of stuff, that's probably just shared as a as, a, yeah. as something that's yeah, across right. all of the different people in the team so i i would I, that might be indicative of the types of companies in australia like there might be more yeah, definitely uh, or or a large amount of large companies which would warrant having a lot of that um, admin marketing and managerial well, stuff it's interesting it's that they put just admin and marketing as well Sorry, John. It's uh, I know someone in the Discord was talking about how uh, they want to do IT like tech support for game companies. They think that'd be awesome. Mm. Um, and if you're an indie studio, like everyone would just do it themselves. So, but if you're in a AAA studio, you'd need people doing kind of network maintenance, making sure everything's up and running, so people can just get on the c- computer and actually like work, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's not it's not just IT. It's not just admin and marketing, but all those support roles. Database engineers, mm. all all the kind of infrastructure, um, catering. You know, when you get to the real big size, mm. it's a it's a completely different environment once you're past the indie stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that and that that's, that's it's totally justifiable that number. I think I think then my thing is just idea. Just ha- having that number there just is a bit odd like lumping that all together like i can see why they've done it you know but there's no context as, as costa was saying as well there's no context behind what team that represents it, they're just and look and 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 to be fair to it like this is a, this is as a, i mean i started saying this is how amazing this report is it's a very <laughs> stylized visual report it's only meant to get top level stuff i'm i'm sure there's a proper breakdown somewhere yeah. else i'd want to see that like i would want to see like you mentioned alex how you said you know, in a small dev team, you've got this many designers or this many programmers. I want to see like an average of all of those roles across maybe three different streams being indie and then medium size and then large. Mm. Like that would be a cool breakdown to see how on average the people are allocated within those, like some sort of, I don't know, graph it's a very that good would point. demonstrate Could, that. Yeah, because uh, as you said before, like management, admin and, and marketing – um, if it also depends on how they ask these questions, you know, like if you could only pick one, mm. you know, if we're in Melonhead, uh, we would say we have a, uh, we had a producer, an artist and a programmer, but you know, we I'll also, one of them was also the writer. We were also the QA. We were the designers. We were the ma- admin and marketing and management, you know, so like, so really at the end of the day, it's how the survey was designed and what check boxes were there. Hmm. Can Which, I just point out yeah. in Melonhead there was also the freelance audio guy that forgot <laughs> yeah, I'm just like the server. No, it's so great. Sorry. This is pure I'm... No, this is the example of why this, this is exactly the way they are. So I'm not heard about it. I think it's actually a really good case in point. So. Yeah. Yeah. And um 
My G, this is yeah, no, no way slight. It's because these these are awesome reports. Um, but it'd be, yeah, it'd be great to see that that kind of breakdown. I guess mm, for sure. Something that I thought was Seven. really cool in that report was the yeah. gender diversity and the breakdown mm. and how that's yep. changed. Because yeah. this sixty-seven um, percent full time. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, this says that um, last time they did the study, eighty percent of the employees that they surveyed were male. And now in the new report, they've got uh, 67% uh, cis male and then 23 cis female, uh, which is also way larger than it was last time, um, and 8% transgender and 2% non-binary, uh, which is, yeah, mm. significant like increase in diversity based on as opposed to just 2020. So that's a huge, mm. that's like not very long, but like, a pretty good increase in diversity in a short time yeah 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 yeah. sure it's um yeah it and just looking at the um the stats beneath that as well as the uh ip importance 74 percent. so 74 percent of ip generated well, sorry let me rephrase wow. that 74 percent of ip is generate it's not you know yeah working on other projects that's currently. really surprising that's a big number i wouldn't have expected that high that's really good that's really cool right yeah 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 um studio stage that's an interesting one so nearly half 45 percent of studios are five years old or less um which is really interesting as well i was like uh because then it, it doesn't drop that much it, well it drops 11 percent um, so 34% are 6 to 10 years or older, and then 21% are 10 years older or more, which is still, that's one in five game companies are more than 10 years old. I've seen a lot of consoles. And Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, <laughs> and we've got more mobile devs than we do console, which is, I don't know, oh, I wow. thought that yeah. was surprising. I, having conversations with, um, you know, uh, with uh, David on the last podcast and, um uh you know friends of mine who are developing for consoles i could see why consoles seem to be a nightmare to develop for like the um yeah. uh what do you call the certification well, the, yeah yeah the agreement process and everything and then once you're locked into those agreements making sure you meet those agreements and do everything in the right order and all that well with yeah, the yeah. hypnosis um game when we were porting to switch it like went to mm. nintendo and came back with like their suggested changes or like their required changes Something like eleven times. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you did you feel like the changes were like justified or were for for accessibility or anything like that, or was it things that caught you completely off? Well, guard? I was pretty amazed with their QA process because like they did all that QA and like came back with all these changes. Mm. So a lot of them were like you know some of them were like actual bugs and stuff that like we didn't know because we hadn't tested or you know that situation hadn't happened before. Um, but then there were some that were like there was a small like like we had a link to the game's web page in the credits. Yeah, and right. like you know that's not. Oh, they didn't. Yeah, like that. that's not. A Nintendo Store doesn't. It only allows links to Nintendo Store. So then there were right. things like that that you go, oh, and then you get a whole new build again and send that back and then wait for the QA process again, yeah. which takes quite a long time. And yep. So, yeah, console yeah. definitely has a lot of that stuff. And I haven't done yeah. Xbox, but I've heard that one's challenging as well in particular. I think there's whole companies that just help you with 
doing or getting through that process like because it's such a difficult one people just specialize in mm. helping you get across that line because it's that thing where you don't know what they want until they tell you as well like there's guidelines but yeah. the guidelines aren't every single thing that ever happened <laughs> like <laughs> does that feel like giving an assignment to a bad lecturer or something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you get it back and you're like <laughs> they just what? make up their <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't say i had to do that um, with the sorry, I was just reading the. Uh, it's, there's a bit more of an in-depth report on the IGS site about it. But there's a frequently asked question bit, and there's something that stood out with me. Is they contacted? They said, "Aren't there more game develop game development studios in Australia?" And they said they contacted over 400 Australian development studios. Participation is voluntary, and only 187 actually responded. So less than half actually responded. Wow. So that probably skews the data of if you were to make an assumption of what kind of studio is going to answer mm. this survey, is it the ones that, you know, tick a lot of, yeah. it, it, and that, does, it, does it skew the data? That's really interesting because that, that a similar thing actually happened in that, um, that, that uh, Mothers in Gaming com- uh, article because, like, we were using, like, the Digital Australia report which said half of gamers are women and then someone in the comments like this person wrote and they were like, well, I looked at this survey and it says there's, like, less that are women and like I looked at that survey and it was like by this American group but it like it's it was called a gamer motivation profile survey and sent out to like a bunch of people so like to click on it and respond they have to be people that identify as a gamer or already think of themselves Mm. as a gamer so again it like you you go huh if you're responding to a survey that's called a certain thing or like you know has a certain Mm. Like you're already kind of skewing that because you're already kind of you know biased in the in that way in the way that mm. you phrased the the report if that makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, but I don't is know that, how that, that was you... presented. Obviously, this one, but it, you know, if it was called something like yeah. diversity in the games industry, and they went, "Oh, we're not diverse. We're not filling that out." Like, <laughs> yeah. I know there was a guy in the local Adelaide scene, uh, Raman Voronel. I think mm. he was doing research mm. through UniSA, um, and he was going. He was doing uh, qualitative research, so he was actually having interviews with people yeah. um, and contacting them. Um, and I think this was part of the reason was to try and get a diverse set of responses. And, yeah, um, I, I did an interview with him, and I I felt like his process was really interesting and in depth. And he gave me plenty of time to kind of actually explain my answers and give the context mm. around it. Um, whereas, and I can't speak for all research, but I know sometimes when I've been part of, uh, let's say, more hands-off research where I do a test or give answers and then it's analyzed separate to the actual experience, um, I've had the researchers come back and come up with their own conjectures, which are completely different to yeah. the reason I actually gave so the answers. what you give the answer for, yeah. So, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Raman. Yeah, as well, yeah. Uh, I think he's doing some great stuff from an academic perspective for the Adelaide community. Yeah, no, he's, he's great, and he's yeah. I, yeah, he seems like I'm. He, when, he, when I spoke to him too, he was like, "I really want to make sure that I have a diverse representation." Is there anyone you mm. think I should speak to? And like, really open to mm. changing what he was doing to, you know, make sure that he had that diverse approach, which is awesome. Yeah. Now that's awesome. Now, uh, Costa, I think you got one more article for us, don't you? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's going to be in a long episode, isn't it? Um, yeah, this this article again similar to the other stuff, um, looking at NFT gaming. Um, so I, this one just popped up this morning. I saw it on LinkedIn, um, and this was from a website called Protocol. Um, but the Twitch co-founder uh, Justin Can, he's actually launching an NFT gaming marketplace. So the startup is called Fractal. Um, and, he's, and this co-founder um, sold Twitch to Amazon maybe, I'm not sure, five to ten years ago for about a billion dollars whenever they, whenever they sold, um, but is finally getting back into gaming with the announcement of this marketplace for gaming-related uh, NFTs. So Ken and his three co-founders uh, aim and want Fractal to be a destination for the launch of new NFT collections as well as a place for prospective sellers to find interested buyers. So um, kind of like some of the other stuff out there, like OpenSea, um, they're trying to they're trying to f- create a marketplace that is more specific to games as opposed to art and entertainment. Um, and and you know, an interesting quote that he said was, you know, everyone, everybody in gaming that I know, if they weren't working on an NFT game already, they are already thinking about how they do it or are pivoting hard to it right now. I think there's a component of the NFT market that is very speculative, but I'm really interested in the programmable experience that people are going to be able to have in the metaverse and how we can support that. And it's mentioned in this article that that's why he's excited about gaming NFTs in particular because of the utility that can have as an in-game item or collectible instead of just as an art asset um, which is kind of, uh, as we, we've mentioned earlier, like just shifts with the value of it shifts depending on the demand and just it's all really speculative. speculative. Um, and so, yeah, he's sort of uh, pitching it uh, to be, yeah, like an infrastructure company that can help bring these games about and I guess have the tools to, the tools in the marketplace to be able to facilitate um, all of that um, and make it more accessible. So, yeah, just I guess more more people from other, you know, big companies pushing into this. Yeah, it's happening everywhere, isn't it? At, at least, like in contrast to the previous one, at least he's showing that he's trying to actually, I guess, really think about what NFTs can offer in a new way. He's mm. talking about the utility of them and the infrastructure, and um, we'll see what happens. I also found it interesting, yeah, because uh, it says he's working with one of the creators of the NBA Top Shot mm-hmm. marketplace. Have you guys seen those, the NBA Top Shots? No. Uh-uh. But, so, they're um, basically the NBA have been taking like short video clips of the top moments in NBA history, like Michael Jordan dunking the ball or whatever, and then cutting it and then creating it as an NFT and then selling it off. <laughs> so, they're, they're basically, they've taken something they already have <laughs> and out there. And the tagline was like, you can own the greatest moments in NBA history. Oh, my God. The, that is the opposite of utility. That is just flat out creating. <laughs> it's just repackaging. Yeah, that's right. That sounds exactly like this. You remember like in the 90s or 2000s, there was like these little cells that were like, this is the yeah. cells from a movie. And it was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. still do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but like they're expensive, it, and it's like from any like print of that, like any reel at all. Like it's not a specific reel. It's not the first ever reel. It's just like 
some real like it's no different yeah. than a picture <laughs> it's just printed on real <laughs> like that that feels yeah, like what yeah, that's, that's right. like like yeah. So weird. But you can't even put that right. video so, on your wall. You can put the reel on your wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on your wall in the uh, in the metaverse. metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. is Justin Khan still part of Twitch? No, uh, he. I think he left when he sold the company. Ah, uh, right. Because I was going to say it would be really interesting if he's doing a platform like this and still joined Twitch. Then I could see it working. I mean, he would merging with Twitch. He would most definitely have the the networks and the connections to to try to make that possible. Mm. But yeah, there's a a really popular. uh, Oh yeah, no, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say it says that um, you know, like he's he's wanting to facilitate that lending model like Axie Infinity did, and Axie Mm. Infinity is like I think we talked about a little while ago on a different episode Mm. about how it like um you know, was, like, supposed to be, like, really responsible for bringing a whole village in the Philippines out of poverty during a really hard time. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I guess there's some positive there in that, like. Yeah, and that's really the model that a lot of these um, new games that, like, are popping up are using. It's that play to earn and, you know, as long as there's a game that people are wanting to play, then those tokens or the items or whatever it is that they're distributing in game um, are going to continue to be valuable and people are going to continue to be able to make money or make a living off of playing these games mm. yeah. but yeah interesting space yeah interesting. i wonder if we're ever going to get an article that's like nfts are dead don't do it yeah. <laughs> two weeks whole now. games industry moves <laughs> yeah. away from nfts costa won't pick that one out <laughs> <laughs> don't want to hear this the people don't no, but it's, it, I mean, it's, it's been interesting because because we've been covering it for, you know, almost two months now. I know it's just yeah. sort of starting. Like, I, I just see them pop up so much now, these articles. Like, mm. there's always something. Like, there's always some new company spinning up or there's some person or uh, existing company stepping into the game. And, it's, yeah, it's... It's, I love uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's like I the mean, metaverse, though. You know, it's, it's, it's like a buzzword. And yeah. for, like, better or for worse, like... Um, it offers a lot and there's a lot of potential there. A lot of people are going to be hooking their ideas onto it even if it's not like the true mm. thing. But I think ultimately it's a really good move because, mm. you know, people are going to make stuff and break stuff and finally build something cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk around it though. No, I That's love right. it because it's, it's very much the flavor and there's so much going around to, to have something like, like this. Like, you know, just hearing the, like, this is the only place I ever learn about what NFTs are and, you know, uh, as in how they relate to gaming and stuff like that. So, finding, getting these articles every week is, is good because I would have no idea. I'd be so lost without this stuff. I feel like Costa's like on the NFTs now. Like, he's set up a Google search for like, <laughs> games, <laughs> NFTs. He's like, that's your bag now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Costa, I've actually made two NFTs. I'll show you. Yeah, I have. I've got two on OpenSea. They're not really. They're not. Yeah, because um, I wanted to kind of try it out, get mm. the process, um, kind of experience it. it. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. At first, I like didn't want to do it because of all the environmental concerns around it. Mm. I was like, oh, I know this is terrible. Um, but then I read about because because they're built on the Ethereum blockchain. I read about how they're trying to switch the technology to be a lot more envir- environmentally friendly. So I was like, all right, 
cool. I'm going to do like a series of them. Um, so far, I've done two. Awesome. Um, and the problem I had was I went to sell them, but you need to have a certain amount of uh, Ethereum, like Ether coin yep. to um, actually put them up to sell. And I currently had all my Ether in an auction for another NFT and I couldn't withdraw it because I didn't have enough Ether to cancel because the whole thing is that every action you do on the blockchain costs money essentially. Yeah, there's a gas. And so I was... I had money somewhere, but I was then too poor to cancel that action and I couldn't. Yeah. So anyway, so they're, they're currently not sold, um, but Costa, if you want to talk after this episode. I'll, <laughs> Is I'll, it pictures I'll, or music? Uh, both. Oh, they're wow. looping animated video with uh, music behind it and a story that kind of scrolls through it. So. Is it like yeah. a Alex collection, the Fur Better collection? It's like different it screenshots from live bullions. <laughs> it is. It it's is. just Alex, Alex like shaking scenes. his head with his hair blowing yeah. all majestic. <laughs> yeah. The, the album's called Alex in Compromising Position. It'll <laughs> <laughs> just come back to me. <laughs> I, would, we'll, I would definitely. We'll definitely talk later, John Dory. <laughs> Actually, my mate Jed has a whole photo album of me just asleep in random places. It's like my superpowers. I can just fall asleep in places yeah that's um, an nft collection wow. oh yeah 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 there's such classics as me in villies uh, me on a plane <laughs> me in an airport me on the bus <laughs> we could do something like i should do like an opposing <laughs> album because i'm like the complete opposite and i can never sleep anywhere so like i'll just recreate those but i'll be like just with my eyes wide open <laughs> staring <laughs> tweak susanna <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the awesome. companion album all right maybe we should leave it there guys tonight um yeah. want to thank the audience for listening in ooh, to this ooh. um yeah oh yeah the poll don't forget the poll um game jam experiences uh what are your stories what are your lessons all that kind of stuff and yeah keep an eye on the game, game jam pages for ticket sales which should open up in the next couple of days i hope nice Very good all right, thanks for joining us, guys. And until next time, you have a good fortnight. Bye bye. Cue the music. Cafe Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com. <laughs>